You're listening to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. Hi, it's Michelle. Welcome back to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. This is part two of my conversation with Tim Samford from Focus on the Family about forgiveness. In part one, we talked about Tim's book, Forgive for Real, Six Steps to Forgiving, and we unlocked what those six steps were. So if you haven't yet listened to that part of the conversation, you'll definitely want to go there first. But if you have, now you're you're set up for part two. And part two, we unpack a lot of the emotional components of forgiving. We talk about the fact that forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration are not all one thing. And the role that trust plays in being able to determine whether or not you can move forward in a relationship with a person who has injured you. Tim and I also talk a little bit about the idea of forgiving yourself and how that's not really an accurate depiction of what it is when we also have to reconcile with the fact that we may have done things that we're not proud of and that we want to be healed from as well. One of the things I love about talking to Tim is that he takes these concepts that sometimes just don't really seem to make a ton of sense or I don't really know how to apply it in my real life. And he makes it really easy to understand. And so he's going to take some of these big emotional issues that deal with trauma and hurt and rejection and those types of things. And he breaks it down in such a way that makes it really manageable. So I hope that you'll find that the things that Tim and I talk about, it may dig up some things that are are brewing inside of you, but I hope that you're going to find that this gives you some more clarity just as it did for me. Before we launch into that conversation, I want to make sure that I mention Faithful Counseling, our sponsor. Faithful Counseling offers Christian counseling on your time so that you have the ability to connect with a counselor who can help you move through issues like trauma and forgiveness and these types of things and allow you to heal. If you go to getfaithful.com slash single mom, you can actually get 10% off of your first month. So make sure that you go and check out Faithful Counseling. Okay, so with that, we're ready to launch into part two of my interview with Tim Sanford. So earlier on, you talked about the Christian smoothie and how we lump forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration kind of into one blender and we act like they're all the same thing, but they're not. Correct. Can you help us to understand how forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration are distinctly different parts of our experience and how they fit together or don't? They are different. Um, I can forgive you because, again, it's a court of law thing that has nothing to do with trust because you may have broken trust when you wronged me. How do I know you've changed? I don't know you have. And one, one of the big misnomers we have in Christian circles is we're supposed to trust one another. That's what Jesus would do. No, if you look at your Bible, Nowhere in your Bible does it tell you ever, ever to trust another person. Did you know that? I, I wrote a blog post about this last year, but it's okay. but you're right. It's it's a common misnomer that we're supposed to walk around just trusting everybody first. No, it tells us to trust God. Yes, we know that. Mm-hmm. It tells us not to trust our own understandings in Proverbs, but it never tells us to trust another person. Well, you and I both know that trust is an important part of a relationship, right? Right. So here's my snarkiness as the PK. Why did God forget to talk about something that's so important? Well, he didn't. What God does talk a whole lot about is how to be a trustworthy person. 
Trustworthy is a compound word, meaning what? Worthy of being trusted, which means it's earned. It's always earned. And, and I've had people say, well, because it sounds cr- better in Christian and nicey, nicey. Do I trust people until they give me a reason not to. Okay, so let's say I move into your neighborhood. I'm, I'm 63. I'm a single male. And, oh, yeah, let me babysit your three-year-old daughter. Yeah, right. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, wait, 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 wait a minute, Michelle. I haven't done anything to give you reason not to mistrust me, have I? Right. <laughs> But I don't know you, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, again, it was, I, I, no, you won't. Mm-hmm. That is foolish. No, because once you get the reason not to trust me, it's too late for your daughter. No, you're not going to do that. So trust is always, always earned. And a lot of times what happens when, you know, in, in divorce situations that, well, you know, now since you have to still interact with the children, you need to trust him. No, no. You didn't break trust, so you can't fix it. It's not yours to fix. He, or whoever the other person is, needs to fix it by becoming trustworthy. And only when they're worthy of being trusted does the book of Proverbs say it's wise to trust them. And until they become worthy of being trusted, no, you don't trust. No, you don't. So it's very different. So I can forgive and not trust. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Well, and I guess that takes discernment on our part. And oftentimes we confuse, and you mentioned, you know, we put politeness into the place where maybe it's not really, it's not even wise to do that. Because first of all, the court of law has nothing to do with politeness. Okay. Second of all, trust is not a matter of polite. It's just a matter of, are you worthy of being trusted or are you not? Right. And I don't. And um, I used to work at a, at a camp here in Colorado at 9,000 feet. We also had a lake. And in the wintertime, the lake would freeze over and we'd take the tractor out there, plow it and make an ice skate rink out of it and play hockey. Well, in the springtime, as it starts to melt, you don't just run out into the middle of the lake. You first stand on the bank and you stretch out, stretch out your foot and you stomp on the ice a little bit to test it. And if it's okay, then you take another couple steps and stomp and test it. So... Yeah, the person has to become trustworthy even enough before I would confront them because I'll only confront if I'm pretty sure that it won't blow up in my face and they'll come back and hurt me more. See, the, the, the normal way of dealing with it, the scriptures say, is if somebody wrongs you, this is a Matthew 18 passage, you go to them one-on-one and confront them. And if that doesn't work, you take two or three people with you. And a lot of people are mm-hmm. familiar with that passage. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 7 and 8. This is the contraindication is of when not to do the normal. Okay, whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke the mocker or he will hate you. There's some people you don't confront. There's some people you don't go to them and confront them for being wrong because they're going to blow up, throw it in your face again and hurt you more. They're not trustworthy. Yeah. I mean, then that's where you mentioned that forgiveness and trust are two separate things that, and I think you mentioned as well that forgiveness has to come first. I have to fully go through these steps of forgiving this person before I determine whether or not it's a wise idea to confront them. Can you help us to... to sort of understand that discernment process of how do I know that I could actually trust that it might be a good idea 
to confront this person. Okay. And so, which is the question, how do I know they're trustworthy? Right. And, and think of a three-legged stool. This is a little bit simplistic, but at least it's a starter place for everything. A three-legged stool. And question number one, so leg number one is, is what they say and what they do match over a period of time? So what they say and what they do has to match over a period of time. Mm-hmm. That follow? Make sense? Yes. So, yeah. So there's consistency and a constancy there. So that's leg number one. Leg number two is what they say today and what they say tomorrow matches over an extended period of time. So one day, I like you. The next day, no, I hate your guts. The next day, oh, I like you. The next day, I hate your guts. The mm-hmm. next day, you're my best friend. Which one are you going to believe? Right. Can you, can you trust that person? No, you can't. There's no consistency in what they're saying. The third leg is what they do today, so how they behave, and what they do tomorrow matches over an extended period of time. So there's a consistency and a constancy in their behaviors. So what I do and what I say match, what I say and what I say match, and then what I do and what I do match. That's at least a starter place to know, are they trustworthy enough to even confront or have a relationship with? If they are, then I can go and I can confront them. If they're not, I go my separate way. I stay as far away from them as I can. Which means then there is not going to be any reconciliation or or restoration. And I've noticed that with a lot of women that I've spoken to, for example, who find themselves in cycles of toxic relationships, there is that disconnect between what the person says and what the person does. That very often we may give trust to a person purely because of what they've said, purely because they've offered a really excellent apology, seemingly, and find ourselves cycling through this kind of crazy space of, but why is nothing changing? But why does this relationship seem so dysfunctional? Why is everything off balance? And it's watching that pattern is what you say aligned with what you do. And something I've always told my kids is, the truest form of an apology is changed behavior, that the words and the recognition of the wrong are are important to the healing process between you and me, but it's me watching you over time to see if you change your pattern and your behavior that ultimately allows me to understand whether or not there's a remorse and a reconciliation. And a repentance. Correct. Yeah. Right. Because you made a little comment that that we often get messed up. It's never yours to give trust. Trust is never given. It's always earned. And we tend to give it to somebody who's never earned it. They're not trustworthy, which makes it difficult because if this is my supervisor, if this is a family member, if this is my ex, I still have to interact with a person that I don't trust. And that's real awkward. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Hello. Welcome to the awkward world. Right. So get comfortable with being awkward and uncomfortable. It's not, yeah, I don't trust him. I still have to interact with him, but I don't trust him. And that's just real icky. But it's never yours to give trust. It's theirs to earn. I like that you identified get comfortable with feeling awkward and uncomfortable because I feel like that is often part and parcel of the single mom experience and certainly just life in general that happens. but. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely a very 
regular occurrence. And I think giving yourself the space to say, it's okay. It's not going to feel perfect all of the time, but you can do this in a way that yeah. is honoring to the fact that the the relationship has changed. There have been wrongs that have occurred and you can still move forward despite the fact that it may just feel a little bit funny. Yeah. And so let's, let's keep going with your, your question. Okay. I can forgive, but then are they trustworthy enough to even confront? Because if they are, and I confront them, that opens the door then for reconciliation. Now we, we get reconciliation mixed up with restoration. Reconciliation is just a short, little, simple, we both say the same thing. An old phrase of you used to say that you would reconcile your bank account which means the bank says you got $5,000, Michelle, and Michelle says, I have $5,000. When the two parties say the same thing, the account's reconciled. Follow? Mm -hmm. Reconciling only means say the same thing. So Tim says, Michelle, you broke my windshield, and Michelle goes, no, I didn't. We're not reconciled. Right. I don't care how much we pray and we cry and we have Bible said together, we'll never be reconciled because we're not saying the same thing. If I say, you broke my windshield, and Michelle says, I broke your windshield, we're reconciled. That's all that reconcile means. We get restoration mixed in with reconcile. Restoration means we're the rebuilding of the relationship. So we got to keep those separate pieces separate. They're connected, yes, yet separate. So reconcile only means say the same thing, which then opens the door. If I want to restore the friendship, then I can. I'm not obligated to, but that's then the, the rebuilding. If you restore a car, if you restore an old house, it's the rebuilding, it's the putting it back together. Now here's where the relationship comes into play and those efforts with it. But they're each separate topics. They have kind of a progression connected to them, but they're separate. We can't make the Kristen smoothie in the blender and try to make it all one thing. Now, I'd like to talk a little bit more about that restoration piece, because as, as we're stepping through these, this process, I've first taken it upon myself to forgive this person and okay. decided it's worth confronting them and give the opportunity for reconciliation to say the same thing as you're saying. Yes. So there, obviously, if you're not reconciled, then restoration would not be possible. Correct. But even in cases, sometimes you do reconcile. Sometimes it is, yes, you did this. Yes, I did this. And yes. even restoration then may or may not happen. Can you talk, though, about those types of circumstances? Because, again, I feel that we would always sort of feel like there's an obligation then to restore the relationship, even in a case where they do reconcile with us. And again, it's, yeah, there's that feeling of obligation because as Christians, we want to make everything all nicey-nicey in 30 minutes or less when you walk out of church. Right. That's not the reality. Yeah, I can restore the relationship. It won't ever be as if it never happened because you can't unbreak my windshield ever. Mm -hmm. That's not the forefront of our conversation anymore. It's still a part of the history of that relationship. It can actually become stronger, maybe because of those hurts and wounds. It is going to be what we call a new normal. It is going to be different. And I'm not obligated to restore. I may choose to. 
I may choose to as much as possible for the sake of the children. Okay. So it may be 40% better. Think, think of as, think of it as, um, one of those physical therapists. Okay. I, I mangled up my hand in a machinery accident and I get 60% of the usage back. Is that healed? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Only at 60%. So the restoring of the relationship may only be 60% of what it used to be. Okay. That may be as much as I'm comfortable with. That may be as much as is possible. It may only be 30%. Okay. It doesn't have to be this perfect happy ever after 100%. It might not be. And that's just part of that realness. Now, over years and years and years, maybe enough time will pass, enough healing, and they change enough, and there's enough repentance, enough behavior changes in them that it makes it safer to have a little bit more of a close relationship with them, restoration-wise. Okay. But we can't put this into a little cookie-cutter, make everything all better. That's not how the world is for real. So you're not obligated as a single mom to do that. Well, and it seems that it's more learning how to continue, whether or not to continue putting more weight on that three-legged stool, that as that tr- that trust process, there may be that initial trust that says, okay, this, there's a ne- at least enough trust for me to have a confrontation with this person, but that them demonstrating trustworthiness as it pertains to restoring a relationship is an ongoing process, and that that's something we just have to continue to watch over that period of time to determine, again, if behaviors versus words are aligned or not. Exactly. Exactly. And that's where, like you said, time is the important piece. Are there enough changes? Have they become healthy enough? Have they become safe enough? And is there, do I want to? Is the other part to it? Again, I'm not obligated to. Is it worth it to me? Not in a selfish way, or is it worth it for my children? for that relationship to be a little bit stronger and okay. If not, then I keep my distance. It would be similar to, yes, you're the ambassador to a country that's a sworn enemy of ours. You're polite, you're cordial to them, but you have your game face on. And as soon as you can, you get the heck out of there. You're still going to be cordial and polite. You're still going to interact. You can still be diplomatic with them because that's what you need to do. Okay, that's what you do which means that you go and guarded and we don't like to be guarded all the time. Well, you're going to have to be sometimes. I'd like to break in here quickly and mention a new resource at agapemoms.com. It's called the seven loneliness traps, and it's a free guide to understanding seven common mindsets that keep us feeling limited and powerless as we move forward in our lives. Unforgiveness is actually one of those traps. And some of what Tim talks about is actually in that guide. So if you go to agapemoms.com slash free, you'll be able to download that free guide today. And there's that that disconnect sometimes between the facts and the feelings. And I know for myself, I am the kind of person that I can see the facts clear as day, but I want to reconcile my feelings with the facts (laughs) and make myself feel better about it when maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should disconnect my emotion from it or just recognize that there is a a disconnect between what my feelings say and what the facts say about a situation and move forward in balance and i think that that's a struggle for for people like me for example so can you talk a little yeah. bit about that 
that the difference between facts and feelings when it comes to this process and emotionally healing from being wronged. Well, and, and let's go back to the court of law. Okay, you know, we leave the courtroom, you know, from breaking out my windshield. The facts are set that, okay, forgiveness is over. I forgave you. Court is over. The feeling, the damage, the hurt, the pain may take weeks, months, years to heal. If I break your arm, yeah, you can forgive me. That doesn't fix your arm instantly. You're still going to be in pain the six, eight weeks. So just because the forgiving facts are here doesn't mean all the emotion, the pain is going to instantly go away. And that's why sometimes, yeah, I've forgiven. So why do I still feel so icky? Well, you're still healing. Yes, you forgave. Because we tend to think of, well, since I'm feeling icky, I must not have forgiven. There must be more unfinished business or whatever. Maybe not. Maybe. And that's where you go back to that document. Yes, I did forgive so-and-so. Here's the piece of paper. Here's the date when I finished it. The facts are, I remind myself, yes, heart, brain, body. The facts are, I have forgiven. It just hurts today because something reminded me of it. Or they said that same thing again that used to trigger me. And so now I'm feeling kind of icky. Okay. And that's where then, yeah, because feelings never make anything real. They're just simply a barometer that says something's going on inside. That's all that feelings are. Mm -hmm. Something's going on inside. What is the something? Is it accurate? Is it not? And I go back to the facts. You will know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth will set you free, Michelle. And here's the truth. Here's the facts. I go back to that courtroom document. If I had to pull it out and go, so-and-so did these wrongs against me. Here's what they owe me. Here's the date I forgave the the debt collecting job to God. (sighs) Okay, I remember the facts. Yes. And I go over that and over that and over that again until the feelings start to come in line with what the facts are. I think that's an important distinction that you made that just because you forgave somebody does not mean you're necessarily going to feel better right away. And that helps me get a a picture that forgiveness truly is disconnecting from the pain so that I don't have to continue to be hurt by that person's injury continuously. Like I think of it as like an IV, like I'm no longer plugged into the IV, continuing to get the drip of this pain and suffering and all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't mean that that's not already coursing through my body and that I still will have to deal with what's already been downloaded, I guess. Um, They're two distinct processes. And that if I can allow myself to say, to in my mind, understand forgiveness means that I don't have to continue to be hurt by this thing that happened, but it's okay that I still have to deal with what did happen. That Mm -hmm. I think that gives me the picture of understanding where feelings come into that forgiveness process. Because you're right, we do feel like well, I forgave him, so shouldn't shouldn't everything just feel awesome? <laughs> and it doesn't. <laughs> and, and no, it's not going to. And there aren't the shouldn'ts. There, you know, the big finger shaking that you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't. No, because forgiveness, as we look at it accurately, is not cheap, is not quick, is not easy. And the deeper, the bigger, the longer, and the more wrongs happen, the longer it's going to take to heal. It just is. And 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 here's another piece with the the healing. Sometimes the healing will not be back to 100. Mm-hmm. percent Sometimes your physical body, sometimes your relationships, maybe even sometimes your finances will never ever be the way they used to be. 
sometimes there's damage that's permanent. And I see this with some some severe, you know, trauma victims when, yeah, how how does a little girl or a little boy ever get their innocence back that they are sexually molested? Right. Never. Right. Yes, they can heal. Yes, they can have a fulfilling life and a fulfilling relationship with a member of the opposite sex, but it's never, ever, ever going to go away completely this side of heaven. Right. And so some of the things we live with the limp of the wrong that happened to us, sometimes those wrongs have a permanent impact on us as well. Again, not fair. It just is. And I think that's really important to understand because oftentimes we do go to those places of when is it going to be normal again? When's it going to be normal again? And it may not, it may be a new normal, but it may not be the normal that you expected before. And yes, when exactly. we, but that's another place I found too, that we have to allow God the space to work in our lives in that way. Because as often as we look backwards, we then sort of are reconnecting ourselves with pain and we can only move forward in freedom when we know God's in the future. God's got something in the future. He's going to use this. He's going to use this for my good. I can't stay stuck reminiscing about the thing I had before. And I find that that actually prolongs that healing process. It prolongs the hurt. And while there are all variety of ways that we can choose to heal that are unhealthy, or I shouldn't say heal, but that we can choose to avoid pain that are unhealthy and prolong our our suffering and prolong the healing process, that that is one of those things is looking backwards and sort of declaring that it's not fair, but sitting in that. And I think it's okay to say it is not fair, but God is the debt collector. God is the one who makes it right. God is the one who's doing these things for my good. And so that's the way I'm going to go. And I can still heal. Something I loved at the end of your book, you talk about the fact that the phrase forgiving yourself is not entirely biblical. And I think that's another thing that as much as we've talked about forgiving other people, there are definitely times where we know that we contributed to the breakdown of a relationship or we've done things wrong against other folks and we have a hard time getting past it. So can you talk a little bit about how we should better understand that concept that we sort of just lump under this umbrella of forgiving ourselves? And there, there is something here that phrase doesn't accurately portray it though. Because how would you take yourself to court? What law did you break against yourself? Did you do a civil wrong? Did you do a moral wrong against yourself? And so now you're going to sue yourself. No, you don't do that. Generally, what people mean is how do I allow the forgiveness granted to me to soak into me? I had a conversation just the other day with a gal, and she was asking this very question how do I forgive myself? And I said, well, First of all, you admit that you did wrong. She says, yes. Did you ask God to forgive you? She said, yes. I said, so you have owned up. You have admitted that you did wrong. Yes, good job. You then went to God and asked for forgiveness. Yes, okay. Is God good at what he does? Well, the Sunday school answer is, of course, yes, he is. So he not only forgives us, he washes us from all uncleanliness. He makes us clean again. And for, for this gal, it was, how do I then believe that and let that truth soak into me? That mm -hmm. was the real question. And so some of that is, God, help me. So her prayer was, God, help me 
let your forgiveness of me soak into me. Help me see me like you now see me. That's usually what that phrase means. Because we can't be the source of our own forgiveness. <laughs> that all no, of that flows no, <laughs> from no. God. And even the forgiveness we're extending, we offer to somebody else as an extension of forgiveness that's been granted yes. to us. And yes, I can be sad that I did something dumb and stupid and wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's legitimate. Okay. We tend to beat up on ourselves and punish ourselves. And Romans 8 1 says, no, there's no condemnation. Nobody can beat up on Michelle. Hello, Michelle, including Michelle, Mm. because you're my child now, God says. No, nobody can beat up on Michelle, including Michelle. So it's allowing God's, well, I don't deserve it. Well, of course, we don't deserve God's forgiveness. He gave it to us out of grace anyway, and allowing that to soak in. But here's the thing. Sometimes we're reluctant to accept that because when I accept God forgiving me out of grace and mercy, who's in control, God or me? God. And when God's in control, guess who's not in control? Me. <laughs> Me. And we are control freaks sometimes. And right. we want, and that's a scary position. And so part of that is realizing it's a control thing for myself. God, help me let your forgiveness soak into me. Because if God forgives me, he's in charge, not me. If I can forgive me, then I'm in charge, not somebody else. No, this is letting God be in control, which he is anyway, whether you want it to be or not, right? and allowing his love and his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy to soak deep, deep, deep into me, and then walking as if I'm forgiven and clean again. That was a huge part of my personal walk with God in my life was I constantly had this hang up about I'm just not good enough. How could I ever be good enough? I, you know, I, I can't do enough good things to ever feel like I'm worth your forgiveness. And I felt that over time, he helped me to understand, you don't have to be good enough. I did this for you because I love you. This is out of my abundant love Mm -hmm. and the nature of who God is. And the longer that we prolong the experience of receiving forgiveness through our performance and our penances and all those sorts of things, it just distorts our picture of how God sees us. And I think that's that's where some of this ties into, whether it's from the way we grew up or whether or not we grew up with faith or how that was modeled to us or those types of things that sometimes we have a wrong picture and may see God as sort of like a police officer in the sky, you know, that we have to continue to, you know, follow the rules and impress him in order to be deserving of his love and forgiveness. and. The, lo- the quicker we can just identify that it is, f- it is freely given to us, regardless of anything that we do, allows us to allow that to soak in. Well, and, and Michelle, you're, 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 you're a single mom of three, and so your three kids have to earn your love, right? No. No. So you only love them when they do what you want? No. No, right. you love them anyway. Yes, you need to correct them sometimes. You need to discipline them. But your mom's heart, you would do anything for those three kids. That's God's love for you. We never outgrow being God's kids. Mm -hmm. And as a single mom, you know that. And the moms that listen to you, that's how they treat their little kids. Right. And that's how God's love is for them as well. And how much greater, right? And how much greater. Because 
Fortunately, we're not perfect as parents. We don't have to be. God's love is so much bigger and huger. And he gives it to us even when we don't deserve it. Even when we're running the other way, Romans says, that's when Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. He says, come here, little girl. Come here, son. Come here, mom. You're my girl. I love you. Wow. That's Tim, you've given so many great insights in this conversation. I wanted to know if you would help us to you know, just tie a bow on this conversation. And if there's one thing that you would want every single mom listening to know that's dealing with an issue of forgiveness or trust or those types of things, what is, what is one last thing that you can leave us with? Well, I'm going to break it into two parts real quick and, and sneak two things in there. Number one, forgiveness is for your benefit. It doesn't let him off the hook at all. Number two, trust is always theirs to earn, never yours to give. Wonderful. Tim, can you tell us a little bit more about your book, how we can connect with you and the things that you're doing and those sorts of things? Okay. The book Forgive for Real is available through Amazon.com if you want to look for it there. Um, It's also available on the Focus on the Family bookstore if you want to go through that uh, portal as well on that. Um, To get a hold of a counselor here at Focus on the Family, you're welcome to call and talk to a counselor for a one-time consultation. That's 1-800, the letter A and the word family, and then ask to speak to a counselor. What we do is we don't take live calls, is they'll take your information, and then within a 48-hour window, get a call back to you by one of our counselors, and you can talk. It's not ongoing therapy. There's no charge for it. It's more of a consult just to kind of help you think through what the next step is or directions or answers some questions for you. So that would be you know, available to, to anybody at any time if they want to give us a call. This series on forgiveness has been so eye-opening for me. I know personally I've learned a lot and have stepped through a lot, but Tim has given me some new things to think about and helped me to identify some places where I may still have some work to do. I do still have some work to do. And I just hope that this gives you some tools and some encouragement to tackle some of the things that maybe you've been hanging on to and have the ability to move forward and really feel free. I'd love to hear any comments or feedback that you might have. You can go to the contact form at agapemoms.com or you can follow Agape Moms on social media, Facebook or Instagram at Agape Moms. And I look forward to having you with me next time.